Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys. I'm David. And I am Scott. And this is episode number 36. We are we are starting a brand new chapter, starting chapter, chapter three. three. Uh, and so the last uh, the last section that we were looking at was talking about why we do what we do as pastors. And so we're diving into a whole new chapter today. So Scott, if you yep. will yep. take us away. So this chapter is called <laughs> The Use of Humiliation. Which I know you've been waiting for all week long. I'm mm. super excited about this. Just couldn't wait to hear about how we need to be humbled. Humbled. So here we go. <clears throat> Reverend and dear brethren, our business here this day is to humble our souls before the Lord for our past negligence and to implore God's assistance in our work for the time to come. Indeed, we could scarcely expect the latter without the former. If God will help us in our former duty, He will first humble us for our past sin. He that hath not so much sense of his faults and as unfeignedly to lament them will hardly have so much more as to move him to reform them. The sorrow of repentance may exist without a change of heart in life because a passion may be more easily wrought than a true conversion. But the change cannot take place without some good measure of the sorrow. Indeed, we may here justly begin our confessions. It is too common with us to expect that from our people, which we do little or nothing in ourselves. What pains do we take to humble them while we ourselves are unhumbled? How hard do we expostulate with them to wring out of them a few penitential tears and all too little, while yet our own eyes are dry? Alas, how we set them an example of hard-heartedness while we are endeavoring by our words to melt and mollify them. Oh, if we did but study half as much to affect and amend our own hearts as we do these of our hearers, it would not be with many of us as it is. It is a great deal too little that we do for their humiliation, but I fear it is much less that some of us do for our own. Too many do somewhat for other men's souls while they seem to forget that they have souls of their own to regard. They so carry the matter as if their part of the work lay in calling for repentance and in hearers and repenting, theirs in bespeaking tears and sorrows and other men's and weeping and sorrowing, theirs in crying down sin and the people's in forsaking it, theirs in preaching duty and the hearers in practicing it. Mm. Okay, so just really quickly... I think he's he's we call this affectionately in our in our congregation log specking mm. that you know the Jesus calls about taking the speck out of your brother's eye but you got this log sticking out of your own and ultimately what he's saying is that that we are we can be deeply concerned about humility in the lives of other people mm. and fail to be concerned about humility in our own lives yeah which is a hundred percent true. Yeah. It's a good reminder to spend so much time trying to help others become humble. And really the first step is to seek that humility ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. So just want to be sure we're all on the same page here. Okay. Yeah. And before he gets to that, he talks about, you know, how can we humbly, you know, he starts with, we must humbly seek the Lord to help us in our service. But first we've got to humbly confess before the Lord how the ways we've neglected the service because we can't expect the Lord to honor our request to help. If we have not first confessed before him, the ways in which we have failed. Mm. Well, this would be a fun chapter. Yeah. All right. But we find that the guides of the church and scripture did confess their own sins 
as well as the sins of the people. Ezra confessed the sins of the priests as well as of the people, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God. Daniel confessed his own sins as well as the people. I think if we consider well the duties already stated and how imperfectly we have performed them, we need not demur upon the question whether we have cause of humiliation. I must need say, though I condemn myself in saying it, that he who readeth but this one exhortation of Paul to the elders of the church at Ephesus and compareth his life with it must be stupid and hard-hearted if he do not melt under a sense of his neglects and be not laid in the dust before God and forced to bewail his great omissions and to fly for refuge to the blood of Christ and to his pardoning grace. I am confident, brethren, that none of you do in judgment approve of the libertine doctrine that crieth down the necessity of confession, contrition, and humiliation, yea, and in order to the pardon of sin. Is it not a pity, then, that our hearts are not as orthodox as our heads? But I see we have but half learned our lesson when we know it and can say it. When the understanding hath learned it, there is more ado to teach our wills and affections, our eyes, our tongues, and hands. Mm. It is a sad thing that so many of us preach our hearers asleep. But it is sadder still if we have studied and preached ourselves asleep and have talked so long against hardness of heart till our own has grown hardened under the noise of our own reproofs. And that you may see that it is not a costless sorrow that God requireth of us. I shall call to your remembrance our manifold sin and set them in order before you that we may deal plainly and faithfully in a free confession of them. And that God, who is faithful and just, may forgive them and cleanse us from all iniquity. In this, I suppose I have your hearty consent, and that you will be so far from being offended with me, though I should disgrace your persons and others in this office, that you will readily subscribe to the charge and be humble self-accusers. And so far am I from justifying myself by the accusation of others that I do unfeignedly put my name with the first on the bill of indictment. For how can a wretched sinner, one chargeable with so many and so great transgressions, presume to justify himself before God? Or how can he plead guiltless whose conscience hath so much to say against him? If I cast shame upon the ministry, it is not on the office, but on our persons, by opening that sin which is our shame. The glory of our high employment doth not communicate any glory to our sin, for sin is a reproach to any people. And be they pastors or people, it is only they that confess and forsake their sins that shall have mercy, while he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Mm. Mm. A lot there. Uh, yep. <laughs> Yeah, I love the fact, though, in that whole paragraph, like what he's doing is he's talking about the importance of confession, and then he ends it by ultimately kind of confessing himself to be a great sinner. You know, yeah. it's a, you've got to put all ourselves, we've got to put all ourselves in the same boat, be sure we're all together, you know, confessing sin, repenting of sin, turning from sin, trusting in Christ. Like, what a, what a travesty. And we live in a culture where churches don't hear their pastors repent of sin when mm -hmm. they have sinned, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think we feel like, I think we feel like it makes us weak. And I agree. And I think that's the point, mm. right? Like it, it, it makes you touchable. It makes you yeah. human, if you will. Yeah. When, when you send and when you say, that's why, that's what, that's one of the reasons I'm convinced that pastors don't stay in one place longer than they do. 
Because if you only stay three to four years, then you probably don't have to own your mistakes. Mm. I've been here nine years, right? Everything that's wrong with the culture right now in the church or anything that I would want to change in the church right now, I don't get to blame anybody else for anymore, mm. right? It's me. And the ability to, to to see that and to admit that, it's a humbling thing to, to, to see it and realize it. Oh, wow, yeah, we stopped doing this and that's my fault. Or we didn't do this and it's my fault. Or the church has this this predisposition. And that's probably because of my leadership. When you stay somewhere long enough, not only do you see all the ways in which you messed up in leadership, other people see it too. Mm. And they're more quick to show your faults, to reveal your faults. Man, how do you handle that? It's hard. It's hard in ministry because we've created a culture where that's not what the church does. That It's a one-sided conversation, but that's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the church speaks to the pastors, the pastor speaks to the church, and we together, as a household of faith, call each other to repentance and good works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love, there are a couple of points here that he makes that I love, but I love his question, is it not a pity then that our hearts are not as orthodox as our heads? Man, that is a great sentence right there. (laughs) It, it yes yes Baxter it, it, it is, is a, a great pity it is a great pity that our hearts are not as orthodox as our heads heads and, full of knowledge and then he goes on but I see that we have but half learned our lesson that we know it and can say it that that is that is half the lesson yep. knowing it saying it that's yep. half the battle yep the other half is the, the doing, doing. It. man there's this great um, this great theological movie that came out many years ago. Called Wally. Mm. I think I've I, I think I'm familiar yeah. with this film. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the little of, little known film. Yes. You know. But man, the truth in that film is amazing. And and one of the <laughs> one of the one of the things that I so appreciated about it is this whole picture of humanity that we basically gave up on doing any kind of anything mm. with our bodies, right? So they're bound to these chairs and they have these little robots that basically yeah. do all of the work of life with them. Yes. I feel like that's what we've done as Christians. Mm. We bring our brains to church, right? And we we expect, we come with a certain level of expectation that I'm going to be educated. Mm. I'm going to be entertained. I'm going to be informed. I might be challenged. As long as you don't challenge me to do something mm. or change something, I'm probably okay with being challenged. I mean, if you're going to challenge me to think more deeply about something, then I can, I can rub my chin and go, hmm, and think more deeply about things. But... When it comes back to really, you need to do the work of repentance. You need to to put your hand to the plow and make disciples. And I'm not even talking about serving the church so much as I'm talking about just living your Christian faith, mm-hmm. like just putting hands to your faith and doing it. Like that's where that's where it gets sticky for us. Yeah, you know, because it's easy to have. I have a book in my library called oh, I'm going to butcher it. Hold on, Fit Minds, Fat Bodies. That the mm-hmm. idea is that. And particularly with our in our theological predisposition, the the theological camp that we fall into, I know a great many people who know a whole lot more than I do about theological stuff, but don't love their neighbor as themselves. Mm. Right? They don't they don't live out the implications of what they say they say they believe. That's why we talk about here. You know, sanctification is a math problem. Stated belief plus Actual practice equals actual belief. Like it's not what you, it's not just what you say you believe. It's what you do. And that, that idea of having orthodox minds, but not, 
orthodox hearts or orthodox bodies is exactly what Baxter is getting at. You know, the really tragic thing is when it's pastors. Mm -hmm. Indeed. When it's pastors who think that the whole of your work, and I think, I don't want to be too down on seminary, David, but I think seminary can unintentionally give people this impression Mm -hmm. that the whole of the work that you do is just sit in your office all day long and write sermons. Or, the, or, you know, expand it out from that. Even that the whole of the work that you do is educating people. Yes. Like, if if I could just, <clears throat> you know, the impression that I think, whether intentionally or unintentionally, I'm not sure. But the impression that I think seminaries can often give is if you just educate people, if you just right. tell people about the scriptures, give them, right. you know, divide the scriptures rightly then everything else is everything else is fine. Right. You know, everything else falls into place. If right. you if you just give people the right teaching of the scriptures, then surely everything else will be good. Yep. And man, that is that yep. is not accurate. We've reduced pastoral ministry down to some sort of educational thing. And it's not and, that. And, it, and it, it's partly that. It's part, yeah. But it's not all of that. No. It's it is it is part like, you know, you need to be we need to be preaching the word. We need to be spent time in the word. Like every, I think everybody in our church knows that, that, that my Monday, barring some emergency, from beginning to end, is sermon prep day. You know, from the from the time I can get into the office to the time that I have to leave, that's what I'm doing. And it, and it usually bleeds over into Tuesday. But then there are so many other aspects of ministry. You know, I, I can remember my Tom, my, my mentor ministry in Raleigh. I was working as an intern. And I, he, he had his interns. I thought it was so cool. He had a huge office. But he hated that he had a huge office. So he decided that he was going to do something cool with it. So... He put a second desk in the office, and if you were his intern, you worked in the office with him because he figured the best way for you to be able to see what ministry looked like was to just be there when it happened. Mm. And I was sitting here doing work, and he was sitting across the you know across the office doing work, and he just stopped and he looked at me, and I don't even know what prompted him to say this, and he doesn't even remember saying this, which is funny because I totally remember this moment, and because and I talked to him this morning, I was mm. like, "Do you remember this?" And he went, "No," so. <laughs> He looked at me and he said, you know, if all we did was write sermons, this would be the easiest job in the world. Mm. And then he went back to writing a sermon. And I and it just struck me because at the time I was working full time. You know, I was, you know, I was, was not a vocational pastor. I was, was working full time doing maintenance. I was going to seminary. And in my mind, that's what I was going to, that's what I was training to do was to write the sermons, spend my life writing sermons, yeah. you know, and. And look, it is it is one of the sweetest parts of our job, and mm-hmm. it certainly should not be neglected. No, but it is not the whole of our job. No, no nor should it be. So, yeah, all right, we got to keep rolling. How we? Mm. Oh man, all right, we're gonna go a little long today, folks. So just yeah. hang on, because wait a minute, where am we, I? I just lost my spot. We haven't even talked about. It is a sad thing that so many of us preach our hearers asleep, but it's sadder that we study and preach ourselves asleep. Yep. That we talk so hard against the hardness of heart, but yet our own hearts have grown mm-hmm. hard under the noise of those reproofs. Man, it's that. I think it's C.S. Lewis. I'm going to give credit to Lewis. Somebody smarter than me said, no hands are so profane as those mm-hmm. that are cauterized by the holding of holy things. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Let's get at least two more paragraphs. How about that? Let's do and it. And then we'll call it a stop. The great sins that we are guilty of, I shall not undertake to enumerate. Thanks, Baxter. That's good. And therefore, my passing over any particular one is not to be taken as denial or justification of it, but I shall consider it as my duty to instance some few 
which cry loud for humiliation and speedy reformation. <clears throat> in other words, this is not an exhaustive book about all the sins that pastors <laughs> can be guilty of committing, which I'm very thankful for. Mm. Okay, only I must needs first premise this profession that notwithstanding all the faults which are now amongst us, I do not believe that ever England had so able and faithful a ministry since it was a nation, as it hath at this day. And I fear that few nations on earth, if any, have the like. Sure I am, the change is so great within these 12 years that it is one of the greatest joys that I've ever had in the world to behold it. So he's writing at kind of the beginning of the Puritan English era. Mm. And so it's not a church history podcast, but Puritanism was growing, was flourishing in this time while Baxter is is speaking. Now, we're not far from that changing very fast. Mm. And so he does not know what's coming. And I would like to warn him, but he doesn't know. <laughs> but he doesn't know. Okay. Oh, how many congregations are now plainly and frequently taught that lived then in great obscurity. How many able, faithful men are there now in a county in comparison to what were then? How graciously hath God prospered the studies of many young men who were little children in the beginning of the late troubles, so that now they cloud the most of their seniors. How many miles would I have gone 20 years ago and less to have heard one of these ancient reverend divines whose congregations are now grown thin and their parts esteemed mean by reason of the notable improvement of their juniors? And in particular, how mercifully has the Lord dealt with this poor county of Worcester in raising up so many who do credit the sacred office? and self-denyingly and freely, zealously and unwearily lay out themselves for the good of souls. I bless the Lord that he hath placed me in such a neighborhood, where I may have the brotherly fellowship of so many able, faithful, humble, unanimous, and peaceable men. Oh, that the Lord would continue this admirable mercy to his unworthy county. And I hope I shall rejoice in God while I have a being for the common charge and other change in other parts that I have lived to see, so that many Hundred faithful men are so hard at work for the saving of souls, although with the muttering and gnashing of teeth of the enemy, and that more are springing up apace. I know that there are some men whose parts I reverence, who being in point of government of another mind from them will be offended at my very mention of this happy alteration. But I must profess, if I were absolutely prelatical, if I knew my heart, I could not choose for all that but rejoice. What? Not rejoice at the prosperity of the church? Because the men do differ in one opinion about its order? Should I shut my eyes against the mercies of the Lord? The souls of the men are not so contemptible to me that I should envy them the bread of life, because it is broken to them by a hand that hath not the prelitical approbation. Oh, that every congregation were thus supplied. But everything cannot be done at once. They had a long time to settle a corrupted ministry. And when the ignorant and scandalous are cast out, we cannot create abilities in others for the supply. We must stay the time of their preparation and growth. And then if England drive not away the gospel by their abuse, which there's like the narrator, they would, <laughs> <coughs> even by their willful unreformedness and hatred of the light, they are like to be the happiest nation under heaven. For as all for all the sects and heresies that are creeping in and daily troubling us, I doubt not, but the gospel, managed by an able, self-denying ministry, will effectually disperse and shame them all. But you may say, this is not confessing sin, but applauding those whose sins you pretend to confess. To this I answer, it is the due acknowledgement of God's kindness and thanksgiving for his admirable mercies that I may not seem unthankful in confession, much less to cloud or vilify God's graces, while I open the frailties that in many do accompany them. For many things are sadly out of order 
in the best, as will appear from the following particulars. Mm. So that's a whole lot of... Man, praise God for the church, all that. Yes, the yeah. kingdom is advancing. Praise the Lord. Things are going Things are going well. Things are things have at least improved, <laughs> which is interesting. I love, but there's a, there's an approach here that really matters, right? Mm-hmm. And it is that just because things are going well does not mean that people do not need correction, mm. which I think is a really helpful pastoral thing, right? Like sometimes we feel like we spend most of our life simply putting out fires, yeah, you know. And so to sit down with one of my when we lead prayer times on Sunday morning. So we have this time of prayer in between our services. And when I get to lead it, one of my very favorite things is to get done, look at the people with whom I'm praying and say, now, tell me how to pray for you. Mm. You know, because it gives you a, a touch, you know, in, in the lives of people who quite honestly, I, we've got a great number of people whose first thought when they think about calling me is, oh, well, I don't want to bother him. I know he's busy. Mm. Or simply... They just don't call, right? And that's not a bad thing, not at all. But but we're still called to shepherd those people as well. And so what you see Baxter doing here is going, look, I know the gospel's advancing. I see the church is flourishing. But that doesn't mean that there can't be greater change still, that there can't be greater opportunity to identify and mortify, to use John Owen word, sin. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think I think it's instructive that he's coming to the church, he's coming to this group to bring correction, but he doesn't, he starts with, these are the things that are going well. And these are the things that I would like to commend you on. And these are things that make me really, really happy to see before he moves into, man, these are the things that have got to change. Yep. You know, these are the things that have got to be repented of, have got to be put out and, and change, but he right. doesn't start there. He starts with the good. This is the good that yeah. I see the Lord doing. This is the good that I see changing and happening. And then he moves to <coughs> these are the ways that things need to change. Right. I think it's, it's a helpful practice when applying correction in anyone's life, right? Start with what is praiseworthy. Mm-hmm. Legitimately mean it. You're not trying to do it to soften a blow, yeah. but you're changing your own heart to first see what is God doing, mm-hmm. right? If this person is truly in Christ, truly a believer, God is doing something in their life. What is he doing? And then from there to what needs to continue to be done, what needs to be changed, what needs to be. And there's an art to that. It takes a lot of practice, but it's it's a really helpful way to apply correction overall. And so it's kind of neat that he's doing that. Now, having said that, here's the, there's this gigantic but at the end of the sentence where he's like, you guys are doing great. Things are doing awesome. The gospel is advancing and the church is growing. But we need to talk about, we got some sins to take care of. And that is where we'll pick up next week with the first one of these, which will be pride, which Mm. will be a fascinating topic and we may take a couple of weeks on this one we'll see based on the length that he discusses pride it looks like we will take a couple of weeks i'm assuming he has a lot to say on pride he has quite a few things to say on pride well the bible has a lot to say on pride so Mm -hmm. that makes sense all right well thank you friends so much we're so thankful that you take the time to listen to us would hope that you would take if you would be willing to a moment just to share this on uh on some form of social media let other people know that it's out there uh so that we can continue hopefully uh to be to bless others in the same way that we are blessed through reading this book 
and just spending time together. Um, we appreciate you and uh, look forward to hearing. It's always an encouragement to us, church, to get to hear how the Lord is using these things in your life. I love to get to hear people talk about listening to this podcast and it being a blessing to them. Praise the Lord for that. That's that's secondarily the reason we do it. Primarily the reason we do it is because we thought it'd be fun to sit down and talk about a book together until we recorded that. But but we're glad that it's a blessing to you. And we hope that you will listen again next week and we will talk more about Richard Baxter's Reformed Pastor and particularly the sin of pride. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>